0: Everybody still with us? All right. So we're going to take a bit of a detour from our main topic in this session, but I think it's an important detour. The main topic this weekend is forging friendships among men. In this session, I'm asking the question, can my wife be my best friend? Can my wife be my best friend? And the answer to that question is Complicated. It's complicated because it touches on God's design for the sexes okay, and for marriage, which God himself calls a great mystery. And since we're talking about friendship with your wife, let's first talk about another related question, which applies to both the married and the unmarried men here, and it's this question. Can men and women be friends? Can men and women be friends? I'm not asking, can men and women be friendly, you know, cordial to one another, but can they be true friends? That'd be very interesting to see how each one of us would answer that question. How does a feminized, egalitarian American answer that question? Here's the egalitarian response. Can men and women be friends? Of course they can. It's bizarre and offensive even to ask the question. Why would you ask that? Men and women are the same. There are no real differences between them. Women basically are men, except for a few body parts, but we can fix that. There are no essential differences between men and women. Certainly none that should cause any impediment or complication to their freedom To befriend one another. So if you have a problem with having deep friendships with women, clearly, you are the problem. You're stuck in some old, backwards, patriarchal, oppressive, misogynistic, bigoted, toxic view of masculinity. You're just threatened by strong women. That's what it is. You're weak and insecure. As a matter of fact, you're probably repressed. So this is the thinking of feminism on this question. Right? Now, of course, we all know that male-female friendships are always complicated by sexual or romantic desire on the part of one or the other of the parties. This is the truth. This isn't rocket science. Now, by the way, which sex is more likely to have romantic feelings for the other in a cross-sex friendship? The man, 80% of the time, right? So, you know, you know the scenario. And now most of you are married, but just remember or think you've got a man and a woman who are in a dating relationship, right? And then the woman says, "You know, you're you're sweet. Can't we just be friends?" Ah. Oh, ah. Oh. And the man says, "Sure." <laughs> so this isn't rocket science, right? And yet feminism perpetuates the lie that cross-sex friendship, normal, healthy, and possible. It's everywhere in TV shows, in the movies. It's normalized in schools. Anyone who asks, who asks, acts, anyone who acts as if there's a danger, is berated. So I'm from Indiana. Remember Mike Pence? So Mike Pence was laughed at in the media for following the Billy Graham rule. Do you guys know what the Billy Graham rule is? He would never be alone with a woman who's not his wife. I don't know. That sounds like a good idea to me. But it's totally laughed at and despised, right? This is how most people think today. And, of course, it leads to the epidemic of sexual immorality, adultery, divorce, and perversion that always bubbles up from the lie that it's possible for men and women to, be, to, to thoughtlessly fraternize, you know, to be good, close friends. And there's nothing going on there. Now, the flip side of the egalitarian feminist movement is the so-called red pill movement. The red pill movement. The red pill movement has a totally different answer to the question, can men and women be friends? Now, the red pill movement, right? You, this takes its name from the movie The Matrix. You remember that movie? It refers to a choice between being willing to learn a potentially unsettling, life-changing truth by taking the red pill, if you remember the movie, or remaining... Uh, in blissful ignorance, content in, in, in ignorance of the status quo by taking the blue pill. So you've got the blue pill, you've got the red pill. And the one who takes the red pill, this is the guy in the, in the awakened Neo, right? Takes the red pill, unplugs from the Matrix, awakens to the brutal realities of this massively oppressive system, joins with a band of hunted rebels to thwart and overthrow the Matrix, right? That's where the red pill Term comes from. So red pill is a metaphor for resistance to the oppressive social system of feminism with its emasculating social agenda. Red pill. Are you red? Have you been red pilled? Right? What is the red pill warrior's view of women? Is it biblical? Compared to modern feminism, you might say it's in some ways more traditional. Yeah, but is it Christian? Red pill tends to only see differences between the sexes. So feminized, egalitarian American sees no differences. Red pill sees nothing but differences. And because of those differences, it subjugates women to men as inferiors. Red pill's goal is the liberation of male urge. It reads the book of nature more correctly than feminism. Feminism denies reality when it comes to the differences between the sexes. But red pill ignores the book of scripture, which explains God's purpose for these differences, and it denies the reality of sin. What happens when you try to liberate the male urge but don't have a biblical understanding of sin? What does that get you? Male tyranny, objectification of women, and extreme promiscuity. That's where the red pill movement will take you. It's an an equal and opposite error to feminism. So again, how does the red pill world answer this question? Can men and women be best friends? How do they answer the question? Are you gay? (laughs) That's the answer. Why would I want a woman to be my friend? Women are for one thing. One thing, to satisfy my desire for sex and dominance. So in the red pill mind, a woman is so far below a man, so much an object of conquest, that anything like true friendship between them is just impossible, it's just inconceivable. Women exist to be dominated by men. In, in a red pill universe, women exist to worship and service male potency. This is, by the way, Islam. It is is not Christianity we have a couple of muslim men attending our our church muslim men they're not formerly muslim men they're muslim men from saudi arabia our security team kind of mm. but i think they're okay no odd lumps anywhere i think we're okay they really are they're and they're they're intrigued I don't know what God is doing with these guys. Um, but we have talked to them about this very question. And they were just, you know, can a, can a can your wife, be, or can a woman be the friend of a man? What kind of question is that? Of course not. It just does not compute in any way. All right? So this is godless. So, okay, egalitarianism sees no real differences between men and women. Therefore, there's nothing that gets in female. No dangers with cross-sex male-female friendship. There's no- nothing to see here. Don't even think about it. Red pill anti-feminism sees only difference and asserts male potency and dominance over women. So of course, women don't exist to be friends for men. You can only be friends with someone who's your equal. Women are not my equal. How can I be friends with them? They only exist to be dominated. Okay, so that's the world we live in. So the question, can men and women be friends? Both of those answers are wrong. Both refuse to see the truth about what men and women are and what they are for. So brothers, listen, before we move on from this, guard the exclusivity of the marriage relationship. Guard it. Do not be too familiar with women. Deep friendship with a woman outside the bonds of marriage is not wise or safe. It is not part of God's design for life. I know that's uh, maybe a controversial statement for some of you. But what does the scripture say? Scripture commands us as men to treat the older women as what? Mothers. The younger women is what? Sisters in all purity. Okay? That's how God commands us to relate to the women of the church. You're either my mother or my sister in all purity, or you're what? My wife. Guard your those are the categories. Guard your heart. Guard her heart. So of course, be friendly, be kind to the women of the church, right? But be very aware of the consequences of your actions. This is just, think about your posture when you're talking. You're going to talk to women. Talk to the women. I'm not saying don't, you know, of course. But think about your posture. Think about your eye contact. Okay? You look deeply into the eyes of a woman talking about lunch. I don't care what you're talking about. Talking about cinnamon rolls. Talking about coffee. I don't care. You know, you look deeply into her eyes. Bing, 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 bing. What is she thinking is going on here? One-on-one meetings, you know. Don't do that. One-on-one alone meetings. Don't go out to lunch with a woman who's not your wife. Talking to you married men especially. It is better to seem rude than to be foolish. Okay, Communication. Do you email women who aren't your wife? When, this is our policy. I've learned it, and it's good. Whenever I'm emailing a woman who's not my wife, I'm copying my wife. Whenever I'm texting a woman who's not my wife. Sometimes we have to do that. We've got business to do. You know, you, I'm, My wife is in the loop. All the stuff, direct messaging, social media. Uh, the man that I was trained for the ministry under... Um, once had a situation where he was, he's a pastor, he was serving communion. He was serving the Lord's Supper, right? <laughs> and so for for you pastors out there, Lord's Supper, to serve, serve the Lord's Supper, some of you perhaps, uh, he was serving the Lord's Supper. And just as he always did. And then, like, the next day, this woman comes into his office and says, Ted, I saw how you were looking at me when you were serving the Lord's Supper. I feel the same way about you, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, she was not thinking about some deep spiritual thing here. She was like, and it was he was just being warm and pastoral, you know. So what did he do at that moment? His wife happened to be in the building. So he says, hold that thought. And he got his wife, and she came in, and then they talked about it. Okay, uh, It doesn't take much to be careful. So now let's move on to the realm of marriage. Okay, If you're married, can your wife be your best friend? Now, as I said, that is what? Complicated. But God gives us light that helps us understand how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. This comes from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis two eighteen to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Remember, when he made the world every day of creation, what did he say? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then he says this, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and beasts beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Think about what's going on. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And then you have this, like, rabbit trail, you know, of... We're gonna have Adam name all the animals. Think about that, what that would have been like for Adam. What is Adam seeing as he's naming all the animals? Lion, lioness. You know? Cow, bull. And uh, doesn't take long for him to get the picture. Wait a minute. Where, where's mine? Where's mine? So God actually puts him in a situation where he has to begin to feel what he's missing, right? And then, and only then, it says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So why does God make woman? Because it's not good for the man to be alone. Man has a need for companionship. This is not a a fruit, a result of the fall. There is no sin yet, and yet there's something missing. He needs a companion. You are not meant to be alone. You need companionship. Adam had this mandate from God, clear mission, we've seen it, this calling for his life, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it, rule over it all. That something critical was missing, Adam needed something else to accomplish this mission. He's alone. This is not good. So what is God's answer to Adam's aloneness? God's first and greatest answer for man's need for companionship was not another man. It was a woman. A helper suitable for him. So what does that have to do with Friendship. Well, one of God's purposes for marriage is companionship. Companionship, procreation, and purity. Those are the purposes for marriage. God made the woman for the man to be his companion, to answer this loneliness problem. And yes, of course, Adam needs Eve to be fruitful and multiply. That's how that works. But that does not mean that Eve is just a baby maker. Remember what God said. It's not good for man to be what? Alone. Eve is Adam's companion. It's not good for man to be alone. The Lord gives him the sweet gift of a woman. John Calvin said, The woman was given to Adam to be the inseparable associate of his life the inseparable associate of his life. So can your wife be your guest? Well, the answer of Genesis 2 is yes. Scripture speaks of your wife as your companion. The companion of your youth. Is your wife your companion? Or are you two ships passing in the night? Do you do you even like being together with your wife? You're not only allowed to be your wife's friend, that's what she was given to you for. One of, one, of, one of God's great gifts to both men and women, to have somebody to know and to be known by, to have someone who understands you and still doesn't despise you. <laughs> you know? To share your joys with, to bear your sorrows with. To rest in, to entrust yourself to completely. To enjoy private jokes with. You know? One of the sweetest parts of marriage that is that is a marriage that is growing up, you know, that's maturing, is to be able to laugh at the things that you used to fight about. It just becomes... Yeah, that's my wife. Yep, that's my husband. Kind of a pain. It's kind of funny. We laugh about it together. You know, the things that used to be the cause of the fight. Friendship like this with your wife is one of the greatest privileges, comforts, and joys of life. Being married, it doesn't come easily and it doesn't come naturally. Being married, just simply being married, doesn't guarantee it. We all know that. True companionship in marriage is not automatic. It takes work. It takes working through difficulties. It takes growing and changing. It takes constant tending. It's something that grows if you pursue it with patience and faithfulness. It is something that absolutely withers and dies if you neglect it. How many marriages have you seen? I don't know you men. Maybe yours. How many marriages have you seen that disintegrate as soon as the children grow up and leave home? have all seen this. Why? Yeah, the children were the glue that held the marriage together. That's it. And once the once the glue is gone, once the kids are gone, what's left? We don't even know each other anymore. You know, we don't even like each other each other anymore. You've seen this, haven't you? You might be on the path to this. So it's easy, it's easy for us in the pressure, under the pressure of egalitarian feminism and that and wokeness and all that crap, right? It's easy in the pressure of that to run away from that into red pill, to lose sight of this vital aspect of marriage in our, e- in our eagerness to repent of feminism. To, to reclaim biblical headship and authority. Now of course, there is order and authority in the marriage relationship. Scripture makes this just so perfectly clear. The husband is the head of his wife. And that means authority. Just like Christ is the head of the church, okay? The wife is to submit to and obey her husband. Yes? The Bible uses the word obey. Sarah obeyed her husband, calling him what? The Lord. She, your wife, is the weaker vessel. It was Adam who was created first and then Eve. And as we just read in Genesis, God creates Eve and does what? Brings her to Adam. This is the order of creation. It's very significant. These are despised truths that we are zealous to reclaim and to live out, and we must. But when we emphasize this and try to reclaim biblical sexuality, we can't miss that the Bible doesn't only establish who's in charge, but also the close, affectionate way the man is to lead his wife. They're both true. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Lunch is coming up. You guys going to nourish and cherish your body? <laughs> That's what we do. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. That's Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Why does he say that? Do not be embittered against your wife. Peter says, Husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way because she's the weaker vessel. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's all the Bible. That's all there, right? So you've got headship, you have authority, you have submission, you have amazing sweetness of relationship of affection, of love, tenderness, understanding. Jesus leads his church by nourishing and cherishing her. That's the pattern. So husband, is your wife nourished and cherished by you? I think it's the word cherish. One of those two words actually means, uh, the idea behind the word is to soften by warming you ever had some balm or some wax or something you know and it's hard and you got to soften it by warming it up that's the word if your wife is hard as nails right try softening her by warming her up nourish and cherish is your wife, is she is your wife nourished and cherished by you or Is she intellectually, emotionally, spiritually neglected by you? You neglect your wife to your own hurt. What Paul says here, no man ever hated his own flesh. Calvin says the man who who mistreats his wife is a monster. She is God's incredible gift to you. To meet your need for companionship, to be, as he says, Calvin says, the close associate of your life. And so do not take your wife for granted, brothers. Cherish her. Cultivate a real, deep, satisfying relationship with her. Now, what does that look like? (laughs) How do you do that? Well, first, remember, men and women are different. Hopefully you've noticed this. And this applies to marriage. So G.K. Chesterton, old, dead British guy, he said this. He says, I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. He says, the whole aim of marriage is to fight through and to survive the instant when the incompatibility becomes unquestionable. For a man and a woman, as such, are incompatible. His point is, men and women really are different. They're just different. One of the things I see young, young married men trying to do is to make their wives into their brothers, into their bros, into their, into one of the guys. And they try to live with them as if they're just one of the guys. Can either, this is why your marriage can either be a nightmare or a blessing. Has the incompatibility in your marriage become unquestionable yet? Just obvious. That's when your relationship either ends or truly begins. It ends if you think that's a problem. Right? This incompatibility is not a bug. It is a feature if you embrace it and enjoy it. Would you, this is an interesting question, would you really want to be married to a man? You know what I'm saying? It's like, how? I mean, for all kinds of reasons, yeah? Not least of which, it would be completely boring. (laughs) There are other reasons, I know, I know, I know. So, cultivate a relationship with your wife. Now, brothers, I'm here to tell you, this does not come easily or naturally to me. I am by nature, a loner. So I grew up with an alcoholic father. I mean a 12-beer, no, sorry, like a 36-a-beer night father. Okay? So I tend to be emotionally distant. Some of you, same boat. Especially when I'm under pressure or under stress. Right? And so this is a weakness of mine. This weakness of mine has been a burden to my wife, of course. And over the past few years, um, because of some really major trauma, major problems in my family over the past few years, some upheaval, some pressure. God has used that to to help me to begin to see my sins and my weaknesses in this. I've begun to try to start. I've begun to try to start addressing them. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not claiming like a long path of success with this. We've made some progress. It's been very good. But I'm not very good at it. But I know this for sure. If you want your wife to be your companion, then you will have to work at it. You'll have to each like bend toward one another. You'll have to take an interest in her Stuff, her thoughts. She'll have to take an interest in your stuff, your life, your thoughts. Now, does that mean you have to take up knitting? <laughs> I mean, I've known men who knit. I not it's fine, whatever floats your boat. I've known men who, I've known women who hunt. I'm sure you do too. But is that what it means? You know, that's not what I'm saying. But lean into each other. Some of what we've already talked about with friendship this morning definitely applies here. Time. Time. Companionship. Let's do this together. Work together. Develop shared interests together. If there are things that you, if there's nothing that you like to do together, well, find something you like to do together. A common mission in your home. Right, being on the same page with your children, with your future, with your life, with your purpose as a family, loyalty, of course, affection, of course. Build this relationship, cultivate it. So that leaves us with, with one last question. Okay, can your wife take the place? of deep male friendships. Can your wife take the place of deep male friendships? Some of you are thinking, oh, this is great. I'm married. I'm off the hook. I don't need other men to be my friends. I have my wife. She can be my best friend. Now this is actually very common. It is very common. You read all the stuff that people are writing about male friendships right now. And they will say, many men will say, you know, I don't have time for male friends. My wife is my best friend. And so many men have few male friends. Now think about this for a second. First of all, when I see a husband and a wife call each other best friends, okay? When I see a husband and a wife call each other best friend, I almost immediately smell a rat, Eh, something seems (laughs) off to me there. Now why? I've just talked about companionship. Right? I've just talked about this whole purpose of, one of the main purposes of marriage is this companionship, but there's something missing. Because my wife is not my best friend. She's my wife. Do you remember what Scripture says back in Genesis 2? I read it to you. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Man and wife are one flesh. This is very different from being best friends. Two men cannot be one flesh. Right? Hope we're on on the same page on that one. I think we are. Two men cannot be one flesh no matter how how good their friendship is. And so to call your wife your best friend is to demean and degrade what it means to be one flesh. One flesh, best friend. My wife is my best friend. Something's wrong. That dynamic is wrong. If your wife is just your best friend, then I don't think you're her husband. I'm not saying that she should be less, but she's more than that. Okay? She is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. And so I'm convinced that many men think of their wives as their best friends because they are insecure with other men. Other men are a threat. Other men are competition, you know? All, we all grew up with women. (laughs) We all grew up kissing our skin knees, tucking us into bed at night, feeding us, making our birthday cakes, being emotionally soft with us. And so some of us only feel safe with women. And so sure, my wife is my best friend. Oh, yeah, she's also my lover, my career advisor, my stylist, my secretary, my emotional cheerleader, my mom. She's my on-call therapist minus the $200 an hour fee. It's great. What a bargain. But is she my wife? And I don't have to have men looking me in the eye, asking me hard questions, calling me to task. What, what a nice arrangement. Cutting me no slack. Because your wife, you see, is vulnerable. She is vulnerable. She depends on you for so much. Her safety is wrapped up with your relationship remaining. Her security depends on you both getting along, at least just getting along. She's not going to ask you the hard questions that another man will ask you. Your wife is a terrible accountability partner. I'm very serious. Your wife is a terrible accountability partner. Way too much is at stake. If you insist on having your wife as your best friend or as your accountability partner, you will harm your relationship with your wife. Do not put that weight on her. Don't put her in the place where she bears responsibility for you. That's not how it's supposed to work. Don't you see how upside down that is? It's like having your wife be the main breadwinner in your family. That is not good. I know, sometimes there are circumstances where that has to happen. You're sick, you're disabled, I understand that. But it's not good, because it reverses the polarity that God ordained. The fact is, your wife would never, ever be as hard on you as a good male friend would be. We all know this. A good friend will punch you. A good friend will invade your life and deal with you. Remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, I know, I know. Your wife might nag you. She might emotionally manipulate you. She might give you the cold shoulder, if you know what I mean. Right? But that almost never works. Has it worked for you yet? (laughs) It almost never works. And if it does work, you know, if it does get you to change, to get you to do the thing that she keeps wanting you to do, it still upsets the order of the household, and you probably, almost certainly, resent her for it. You are, in fact, embittered against her, as Paul commands, resent me. And resentment and bitterness in a marriage always leads to some kind of catastrophic failure. But that's what you're asking for when you say, no, my wife is my best friend. My wife is my accountability partner. She'll hold me to task. She won't. Now, does this mean that your wife should never rebuke you or correct you or ask you hard questions? <laughs> no. Actually, she should. There's a there's a feminine, respectful, submissive way to do that. And we should be man enough to take it. In fact, we need to be secure enough to take it. It's insecurity that bristles up at that and like shuts it down. Okay. She's asking you honest, serious questions. He's saying, look, I think this is a bad idea. Who do you think you are? I am wondering what was that you were looking at on the internet last night? Well, who do you think you are? We need to be secure enough to take those questions and to answer them honestly. But here's an idea. Let's have good, godly, loyal, faithful, honest men. Men who are our friends. Who wound us for our good. Who actually understand how we think. You know? Because they're men. Who actually understand how we sin. You know? Because they're men. There's no temptation taking you, but what is common... Actually, no. Who can actually sympathize with our weaknesses, but also who love us enough to confront and rebuke and correct us. Here's an idea. Let's have some of those. Let's have men as friends who we cannot brush off. Who we cannot intimidate. Who we cannot manipulate. So let's build around ourselves ourselves for the good of ourselves, the good of each other, the good of our wives, the good of our families. Let's build around ourselves a band of brothers. That's what we need to do. That's what we'll talk about tonight. All right? Let's pray together. Father, would you again help us help us to think straight about these things and where those of us who are married, help us to to cultivate and Work on true companionship with our wives. Not to replace the friends that we, we need, but because she's our wife. Father, please help us with this. We ask in Jesus name, amen.